0: As we look at the Bible here this evening, we're going to be looking at a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at this passage here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, talking about the Word of God and how important it is, how valuable it is, and how confident we can be in God's Word. And I've titled the message here this evening, Remain Confident, Remain Confident. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll look at the first four or five verses here, 2 Timothy Chapter 4, in a message that I've titled, Remain Confident. I grew up in a, in a Christian home where the Bible was held in high regard. And it better have been, considering that my father was my pastor my entire life. My family was always in church. In fact, we lived and we breathed church. We were the first ones to church. We were the last ones to leave I remember from a very young age, reading and memorizing scripture passages, this was normal to me because this was the life that I was brought up in. I have to be honest though, as easy as it was for me to memorize verses, much of it was done purely out of a desire to memorize and not actually to learn what the verses were teaching. I could quote verses To anyone, but in many cases I wasn't quite sure what I was actually saying. I knew the words, but as far as the meaning behind the words and what the message that was being taught, I wasn't quite sure. It took me a while to take that appreciation of the Bible to the next level. Over the years, my parents bought me Bibles that I would enjoy bringing with me to school and to church, but the Bible that I remember the most was the one that my father gave me when I went off to college. I read and studied the Bible my entire life and in various Christian schools and churches, but my pursuit of God really picked up steam when I went off to college. This one Bible that my father had given to me stands apart in my memory because it was at that time in my life where God was speaking to me the clearest and I was really starting to listen. So much of the Bible started to come alive to me. Verses and passages that I knew, I knew well, suddenly became so much more to me. They actually, the meaning actually came to me. And it's not that I wasn't being taught that truth or that I was being taught a different truth. It's just that God was breaking me from a superficial devotion to something that was now real. I remember taking notes in my Bible for the first time highlighting and underlining verses and just making notes of what was so true and I could see God's hand in such a clear way through his word and it just became more real to me than it had ever been. I remember just reading my Bible with the intention on getting to know more about God and getting to know what he has given to me, how he's spoken to me, what he requires of me, as going forward, God was using the foundation that He had given me from a child and everything that I had learned up to that point to build upon that and to grow into a deeper knowledge of Him. I read more, more of the Bible once I got to college than I had ever read up to that point. In fact, I remember one of my roommates in college getting so annoyed with me that all I would do was read. I, was, I lived either in the library or on my top bunk where all I did was have my nose in my Bible. And it wasn't that the wasn't that he didn't want me reading the Bible? Uh, rather, he was looking to someone, looking for someone to play computer games with, and I had more important things to do. I'd never play computer games with him, and he was looking to just pass the time doing something different. And I was too interested in, in getting to know more about this God that I had heard of and knew, uh, knew of was saved as as a youngster, but didn't know as much as I should have at this time. I remember one day in my ministerial class, I had. Um, carried around my backpack, my Bible in my backpack. And and I remember I, I reached into my backpack to pull out my Bible. And as I pulled it out, my Bible was dripping. And I'm thinking, what in the world? And it dawned on me, I, I carried a Bottle of contact solution in my backpack. Somehow it had opened up, spilled all throughout the bottom of my backpack, to where the bottom third of my Bible was wet. And as I pulled it out, it was literally dripping contact solution. And as I'm sitting next to other kids in this ministerial class, the guy sitting next to my right he happened to notice and he looked at me and he said, "You read in the bathtub too, don't you?" And the guy sitting next to me on this side, who knew me quite well, he said, if we had bathtubs in the dorm, he would. Um, I was so disappointed that my context solution opened up and spilled on my Bible. Fortunately, it didn't do any permanent damage. Uh, That Bible, as I mentioned, was very, very special to me, and I didn't want to see anything happen to it. It was, again, the first Bible that I really grew into, the first Bible that I really started paying attention, really focusing on what God was doing and speaking to me, and that's where I started taking notes. Not that you have to take notes in your Bible to to be serious about it, but it was real to me, and it was something that I needed to, to mark up, if you will. Uh, Not that I'm adding anything to God's Word, but leaving myself notes and reminders of, okay, this verse means this, and God was showing me this, and highlighting and underlining verses. And so... When when this Bible got covered almost in context solution, I was pretty disappointed. I didn't want to see anything happen to it. But I realized, though, that what makes the Bible special is not the person that gave it to you or how many notes you have written in the margins of that Bible or how many verses you have underlined or even highlighted. What makes the Bible special is that it is the only God-inspired book that has ever been written. It is the only piece of literature that is eternally relevant. The Bible explains life and it gives its readers the strength and the comfort for all the struggles of life's journey. The Bible allows us to have confidence in the midst of a chaotic and a crazy world. The Bible is is no ordinary book. The Bible is the authoritative word of God that has stood the test of time and all opposition that has ever come against it. The Bible is the unfailing word of God. The Bible is infallible, it is inerrant. And if I didn't believe that the Bible is God's word or that it is infallible or inerrant, I would never stand behind this pulpit and preach from it ever again. God's word contains life-changing message for everyone that believes on its message. It's not intended on us keeping it to ourselves, but proclaiming it as often as we can. That is why the Bible that was so special to me when I first went off to college is now special to someone else. You can never have too many Bibles, for sure. But if they're just stockpiled in your office or on a bookshelf and they're not read, they're not really doing any good. So I've taken it upon myself to try and give out as many Bibles as I can. Do what you can to get them into the hands of those that need it. We need to be consuming the truth of God's Word. We need to be making God's Word a part of who we are so that it naturally just pours forth from us in our daily conversations and in our interactions with people. We may not have confidence in much else in this world, but you never should lack confidence in the word of God. Look at what we read here in 2 Timothy chapter four. I'm gonna read just the first four verses here as we begin this evening. 2 Timothy chapter four, verses one through four. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom? Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. I want you to notice, first of all, the remedy for itching ears. The remedy for itching ears. It's no secret that the world we're living in today is becoming more ungodly with each passing day. People are gradually and systematically moving away from the word of God. The Bible no longer sits with their set of values so that they either have to be selective with the Bible or just disregard it altogether. Even Bible-believing Christians aren't reading their Bibles enough. Paul here was writing these words to a young preacher in Timothy, and he's encouraging him to be constant, to be faithful, to be diligent in, his, in, in the Word of God so that he might be ready in all seasons, in every situation, every circumstance of life, to deliver God's truth. The desire of the world has changed so much, and it continues to change to the point that the message that the world is looking to hear is not the message of the Bible. And that is why this section of Scripture starts the way it does— Paul is trying to get Timothy's attention. He's trying to get the attention of a young pastor because what he's about to say is really a matter of life and death. But even more than that, it's a matter of eternity. It is incredibly important. And notice how he begins in verse number one again. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now, these are some pretty humbling words. Paul is calling Timothy the, t- Timothy's attention to... To the one to whom he serves under. I charge thee, not as an apostle, not as a fellow laborer, but he says, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He is calling his attention under the God of the universe. Now, with as crazy as this world will get, the one thing that we can count on never changing is that God is always in control. The one constant in a world of uncertainty is God. Every single one of us will appear before God one day, and we will all be accountable for what we've done here on earth. Knowing this truth, what kind of a person do we want to be? Who will we seek to please with our lives here on earth? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what profession you are in or how much wealth you possess. We all live with a number of competing voices that are seeking our attention. Our focus is drawn in so many different directions, and it's usually toward things that sound and look appealing. All the things of the world are designed to scratch the itching ears of a society that has lost its direction. Every time you turn on the news, you seem to hear about some new religion that has been invented. Every time you visit the bookstore, there are new books that have been written offering new methods to make a better version of yourself. People are coming up with new and exciting ways to find truth and to find meaning and to find purpose in life without having to do too much work. All of these efforts, however, are not leading people to the truth. They're actually leading people further and further from the truth. Charles Spurgeon once said, he said there's nothing new in theology except that which is false. Pluralism and tolerance, these are the go-to words of the day. But all they end up bringing is devastation and chaos. Every answer that people will look for out in the world is found in the word of God, the same place it has been, they have been for the past 2000 years. It would be funny if it wasn't so sad that people are looking for new methods when the tried and true method of old still proves successful. The world would rather have their ears scratched than their souls renewed. The remedy is the same as it has always been. People need God's word. There's no substitute for God's word, not today, not tomorrow, there never will be. God's word is what people need. So there's the remedy for itching ears, God's word. But second, I want you to notice a lack of hearing. There is a lack of hearing. As much as the word of God is the remedy for the world, and this has never changed. It's always going to be the answer for an unsaved world. A lost and hopeless people looking for hope, looking for answers, looking for any sort of remedy. It is only and always going to be found in the word of God. But very few people actually want to hear the message. The prophet Amos spoke about such a famine. In Amos chapter 8 and verse number 11, the Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Imagine that. A famine of hearing the words of the Lord. The problem isn't with the word of God. The problem is with people. They don't want to listen to the truth, even when the truth is so clearly presented to them. If we're not there already, we're getting there really fast. It used to be that God's word was at the center of the preaching for every single church across America. Today, though, churches are finding it necessary to process the word of God through the, cult, through the cultural filter rather than the other way around, letting God's word be the filter. It was once accepted that we don't stand in judgment of the Bible, that it stands in judgment of us. What we find today is that the Bible is being tweaked, and all this to make it more palatable for people who are looking for an experience rather than a relationship with Jesus Christ. Instead of believers being encouraged to be conformed to the image of Christ, we're seeking to conform Christ's image and everything else in the Bible to better fit with what we like. The only way we're going to live with the confidence of God and His Word in this crazy world, we must return to the Word of God and let it be our daily source of faith and practice. No matter how appealing and even how luxurious Some of these new churches and new religious organizations may appear. If they're not founded upon the truth of God's word, they are bound to fail. As great and extravagant as the Titanic was, and as much as men boasted that saying that not even God can sink this ship, it went down. And all its passengers were left scrambling for scraps of wood to keep them afloat. It doesn't matter how chaotic things have become today. God's word is still true. It is still powerful as much as it was when God first gave it to man. Let's take a look now at what exactly we need. So point number three, notice the clarity of God's word. The clarity of God's word. We're going to break down verse number two here in 2 Timothy chapter four. And notice what this verse says. It says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine the clarity of god's word what we need to be doing is spelled out for us right here in verse number two it's not a matter of building new buildings it's not a matter of adding new technology and trying to make church as exciting and as entertaining as possible it's about keeping god's word at the center and the foundation of the ministry Preach, the Bible says. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Paul knew that his life was coming to an end when he was writing these words to young Timothy. So he didn't waste any time beating around the bush. He could see the, the direction of the religious leaders and where they were headed. And this is why, this is really what he refers to in verses three and four. Notice what these verses say again. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He could see it happening. But after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. He's saying this because he can already see the ball rolling. He can see it picking up steam. He can see a, a, a departure from the word of God, a systematic departure from God's word. He sees it happening and he says, it's going to come where God's word is going to be thrown out altogether. Everything's going to be gone. This is what he's telling him, Timothy, to avoid those who were religious because the religious were focused on new methods rather than on ministry. And look at what he says in verse number five. He says, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Here's the problem. This is what we're headed towards. And he says, what do you What do you need to do? Preach the word. Preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. Endure afflictions. Make full proof of thy ministry. Know what he's saying here? Double down. Double down. Your mission as a Christian doesn't change because the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Double down on what you know to be doing as a believer. It's not good enough to acknowledge what is right and what is wrong and what we should be doing. We need to actually get out and do it. The word preach there in verse number two, where it says preach the word, speaks of proclaiming the gospel formally with authority. God has used preaching to get His message out to the world since the days of the New Testament, even earlier. We, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter one and verse 21. It says, "For after that, and the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe." We also read in Romans 10 and verses 14 and 15. It says, "How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe on Him?" of whom they have not heard. And how shall, they, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Not everyone is called to stand behind a pulpit and preach God's word, but every single believer is called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Not everyone may be eloquent of speech, and the good news is that it doesn't matter how eloquent you are, how rich your vocabulary is, all that matters is that you sincerely and passionately present God's truth. Listen to what we're told in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verses 1-5. through 5. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching, get this, he says, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It is not the man that is going to make a difference in your life. It is not how he presents the truth that makes a difference. It is not how many fancy words he uses to present that truth. It's not how entertaining and and captivating his storytelling ability is. It is simply in presenting the truth. We can get so caught up in following a man that we lose sight of the message that he's proclaiming. And the danger in that is that we can begin to elevate the man over the message. Now, I'm not interested in building a name for myself. I'm not looking to have a church named after me or to have a study Bible named after me or to have books written about me. I'm just interested in spreading the gospel, and I'm going to do it as often as I can, as foolishly as it may come across, trusting that God is the one who can somehow use a vessel like me to get his word out. God can take any man who was worthless and useless and make him valuable. And I've found that to be personally true. I've watched videos of my early days of preaching, and it is cringeworthy, cringeworthy. David, you can attest to this. David is is in Bible college right now. He's in ministerial classes, some of the same classes that I was in. I attended when I was in college. And you had to preach before your peers a five-minute message. And I remember at the time thinking, how in the world am I going to fill five minutes? How am I going to do this? And they would record you. You had to record your message as you preached so that after you were critiqued by your peers and your professor, you had to go and watch the video for yourself and critique yourself. And I remember watching my video as after I preached it. I'm thinking, Lord, you've called me into the wrong profession. Surely you've made a mistake. The guy that I'm watching on the screen is not fit to stand before any group of people And to preach your word. Because what I'm seeing is absolute foolishness. Thankfully, God can use even those who are foolish. If you ever get discouraged because personal evangelism doesn't go the way you expected, just remember the words from Isaiah 55 and verses 10 and 11, where it says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Stop making excuses. Make personal evangelism a priority. I used to think, because I, I would read a lot, and a lot of the, the people that I'm reading about were D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon and George Whitfield. And every time you seem to be reading about them preaching a message, people would come out in groves to hear them preach. I used to think that anyone that stood behind the pulpit, people would flood to hear them speak. It doesn't matter who it is. And then when the Lord humbled me by showing me what I looked like when I preached, I remember thinking, no one's going to want to hear this. No one's, after hearing me the first time, it's ever going to come back. I'm amazed that you all came back. But it stopped, I had to stop and think about it. And I realized that it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about any person that stands behind this pulpit. It's about the message that they bring forth. Preaching has nothing to do with me or any other pastor. All the power behind the preaching is ultimately in the word of God. And if the word of God is being preached, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It doesn't matter what the voice sounds like as it's being projected. It doesn't matter what the person looks like. It just matters that the word of God is going forth preach the word, he says. Fourth, we need people ready to get God's word out. We need people ready to get God's word out. Look at verse number two again. It says, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season instant in season, out of season. Some of us are sitting around waiting to have the, the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch experience from Acts chapter 8 for us to ever consider witnessing. I need someone to fall into my lap before I'm going to go and personally evangelize. I need that person to walk up to me with an open Bible and say, sir, ma'am, excuse me, could you please tell me what it is that I'm reading here? Because I've been reading this and I just can't figure it out. Is this speaking of Jesus or is this speaking of someone else? Could you please tell me what I'm reading? We're dreaming about that and we're thinking, Oh, I'm not going to do anything until someone approaches me. It's possible that could happen. But it only happens when you're actively serving the Lord in the first place. Philip wasn't just standing around twiddling his thumbs one day and the guy walked upon him. When you read about what's happening there in Acts chapter 8, you find that Philip is first preaching Christ to those in Samaria, leading people to salvation, baptizing many. And then God says... I want you over here now. You've been preaching. You've been leading people to salvation. You've been baptizing people. And now there's an individual over here who came to Jerusalem hoping to find the truth of what he's been studying in God's word and didn't find it because there was no one willing there in Jerusalem to get the word of God out. He's on his way home. I want you to stop him. I want you to meet with him. Go up into his chariot. Talk to him about who this is that he's reading about. Lead him to the Lord and then baptize him. And wouldn't you know, that's exactly what happened. Because he was busy Serving God. Eager to get the word of God out. Get busy serving the Lord through personal evangelism and see how many people are close to salvation salvation and just need you to explain a few more details before they believe. Just be ready. It is often said that people here in the north and northeast are completely indifferent to the gospel. They just don't see the need for it. I feel that many Christians up here in the North have embraced the same spirit of indifference along with the unsaved. Specifically towards the unsaved, thinking that, well, there is no point to bring the gospel to them because they've already determined they don't want to hear it. They don't need it. So why bother? It's not up to us to decide who's worthy of hearing the gospel. In all honesty, if God offered us grace based on who deserved it, guess what? None of us get it. None of us would be saved. The gospel would have never gone forth. The Bible would have never been written. Man would have ever, forever been without hope. It is up to us to know the truth and then to effectively communicate it. First Peter 3.15, this was a memory verse from several months ago. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready, but don't just wait around doing nothing. Keep busy serving the Lord. We need people to get God's word out. And fifth, point number five, we need to be effective in getting God's word out. We need to be effective in getting God's word out. Look again at verse number two. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Three words here at the end of this verse are used to describe how our witnessing can be effective. Reprove, rebuke, And exhort. Plenty of people in the world are trusting in some false theology that is leading them straight to hell. Others are looking to the Bible but have so watered down the message and twisted God's teachings, they have misconceptions about salvation and they're just propagating lies. To reprove refers to correct a person of his errors. We must have a firm knowledge of God's word to be able to discern between what is truth and what is almost truth. The best way to do this is by studying the Bible for yourself. Far too many people spend way too much time reading books on the Bible rather than reading the Bible itself. There are a lot of good books on the Bible. I've got an entire office full of good books on the Bible. However, books on the Bible cannot teach us what the Bible teaches us. We often get ourselves into trouble when we fall in love with an author. And we do everything we can to make that author's doctrine and his viewpoints fit into the Bible rather than allowing the Bible to form our viewpoints. And sometimes it's necessary to just put all the books away and let the Bible speak for itself. We need to be convinced that the word of God is absolute truth because it is God's revelation to man. This is nothing short of a miracle that we right here have a copy of the word of God. God spoke through prophets and the apostles as they were led by the Holy Ghost. And here is the copy of it. It is a miracle that we have this book. Then we're instructed, the Bible says, to rebuke. We're to reprimand. We're to convict. We must speak out against sin. Now, this can be done privately as well as publicly when it's called for. This can be tough. This can be difficult, especially in church because we don't like to cause contention. We tend to want to avoid confrontation. What I found though is that as much as calling out sin might be looked upon as a hot button issue, people are starving to hear the uncompromising truth of God's word. They don't need the Bible to be watered down. At times they need the Bible to be what it is, a hammer of judgment. I don't necessarily make it a point to attack people from the pulpit, but there are plenty of times when people have told me as they're leaving church thinking that the pastor, myself at times, have set up cameras in their homes And I'm aware of every business that they're doing while they're alone because what I preached on was exactly against what sins they've been struggling with. And all I can say is that the Holy Spirit has a way of working through me to reach you all. We have a lot of work to do because we've created a generation of people today who can't stomach a sermon that calls out sin. And they'll find a church that never speaks of it so that they're comfortable in there. Many churches have avoided preaching on sin because they're afraid of losing members or driving people away. I'll be honest with you. I would love, love to see this building packed at every single service. I would love to outgrow this building. I'd love to start looking at new property where we have to build a whole new building because we've outgrown the facility here at Latham Bible Baptist Church at 495 Waterville-East-Shaker Road. I would love for that to happen. But my goal is not to put bodies in seats. My goal is to be faithful in preaching God's word and sometimes that sends people away. There's far too much at stake for me to compromise on God's word to make more friends. Eternity is hanging in the balance and I'd rather make people uncomfortable while calling out sin rather than making them comfortable in their sin, pat them on the back and be their friend all the while they're continuing on their journey straight to hell. If the Bible says it, I'm preaching on it. It may not always be the message that people wanna hear, but it's the message that people need to hear. If you've never been hurt from the Bible, I hate to say it, you've probably never heard a message from the Bible. The Bible will uplift your spirit, it will cause joy to just burst forth from within you, and it will lead you to worship God. But there are also plenty of times where the Bible is just going to grab you by the collar, where the Bible is going to pull you up close, where the Bible is going to call out the sin in your life that you cannot hide from, and it is going to Make it so clear to you what you're doing is wrong. We read in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 9 what a true teacher of God's word ought to do. And it says in Titus 1 verse 9, it says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. We also see in Colossians 1 28, it says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I can tell you this, it is impossible, it is impossible to prevent, or to present rather, every man perfect without first dealing with the sin in their lives. Our wills need to be convicted by the word of God, and then we're told to exhort. So we're to reprove We're to rebuke, the Bible says, and then we're to exhort. As much as God's word convicts our hearts, as much as it convicts our wills, it also comforts our hearts. You'll never find comfort, you'll never find encouragement as you find it in God's word. God has given us his word for guidance as well as to bring us comfort that he indeed does love us. How often do we look around at how drastically this world is changing from day to day and wonder what the future holds? I have concerns as to what this world is going to look like when my children are older. The one thing that brings me comfort in all the craziness and all the uncertainty of life that we're seeing today is knowing that God's word is true and that his promises never fail. The more our hearts are encouraged through reading God's word, the more we can take comfort and bring that comfort to the people in our lives. This is one of the areas that the church needs to be better at, I personally think. Spend time and talk to each other in church. Pray with each other. Comfort one another with the comfort that you have received from God. And notice number six, last point. Let God's word do the work. Let God's word do the work. Again, verse number two, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine with all long-suffering and doctrine. What exactly is meant by this phrase? As we preach, as we teach, as we proclaim and spread the word of God, we need to be patient. There are many occasions where I feel as I'm preparing a message over the course of the week that this message is meant for someone specific. Not that I'm gonna nitpick and point my finger at someone and, and really preach at them specifically, but as I'm preparing, I'm thinking, this is really gonna hit home with this person what they have going on in their life, this is really going to settle things in their minds. This is really going to be a word of encouragement or this is really going to convict this person, whatever it may be. There are many times where I have a person in mind as I'm preparing a message thinking that is really going to speak to this person in a specific way. And as much as this happens, I can't tell you the number of times that the message seemed to fall on deaf ears. That to the person I thought it would mean the most, it goes in one ear and out the other. If it it was calling out a specific sin, the person continues doing what they've always been doing. If it was a word of encouragement for a particular affliction that they've been dealing with, they continue feeling discouraged without any sense of how to be encouraged. For the one delivering God's truth, and if this is you, maybe you've gone to someone with a very encouraging word, and you're thinking, surely this is going to uplift them. Surely once I show them what the word of God says in this area with how they're dealing with their problems, they're going to be so encouraged. And you go and you tell them about what God's word says, and they think, oh, that's great. And they're not having the reaction that you hope they would have. It's easy for us to be discouraged at that time, especially when people don't respond the way you wish they would respond. God's instructions for us to have long suffering as we do the work of the ministry, remembering that he is the one who ultimately brings about the increase. It's so important for us to understand this. With all long suffering and doctrine, every believer needs to be sensitive to how the Lord works. It may not always seem that God is working or that God is working as quickly as you'd like him to work. But rest assured, God is working in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. We just need to be obedient to Christ and to his word and trust that he is going to take care of the rest. Keep serving, keep doing what you should be doing. God's word needs to be the focal point of our lives. Dust it off, open it up. There are great blessings That are promised to the reader of god's word many of which we are missing out on because a lot of our bibles remain untouched until sundays we're told in psalm 119 and verse 105 thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path when we hide god's word in our hearts its bright light continues to shine in our lives lighting our path no matter how dark the surroundings may get so many people today are living with a sense of fear living with anxiety about the future. And honestly, why shouldn't they? For those who do not know Christ personally as Lord and Savior, they have every reason to be fearful and every reason to be anxious about what the future holds. But for those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, the only reason you have to be fearful or anxious or worried or stressed or panicked or overwhelmed and so on is because you're not hiding God's word in your heart. The majority of our fear stems from neglecting God's word. When the word of God dwells in our heart, the darkness will retreat and God's light will shine so brightly in your life. It doesn't matter what you're going through because God's word has the answers. It has the hope. It has the comfort you need for every one of life's circumstances. As old as the Bible is, its teachings are as relevant today as if God gave them today. Isaiah 40 verse 8 declares, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Share God's word. Remain confident that the word you're sharing is a life changing message that still has power to change lives today. Remain confident in the craziness of this life that you have an unfailing power in the word of God. And he can use even a vessel like you to have an eternal impact on someone's life around you. Would you bow with me in prayer this evening? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we do have your word. Lord, I'm thankful that you can use someone like me and every one of us. Lord, and in all of our failures and all of our shortcomings, Lord, as ill-equipped as we think we are, I'm thankful, Lord, that the true power is not in what we say or, or even how we say it, but, Lord, it is in your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would just be willing vessels, vessels, Lord, that desiring to submit ourselves to your purposes and for your use. Lord, that we would be eager, that we would be passionate to get your word out because there are so many people that are so desperately in need of hearing it and believing it. Lord, I pray that you would use us. I pray that you would show us opportunities in which we can serve you and be a witness to others. And I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to take advantage of those opportunities, starting with myself and to every one of us. Lord, may we be better servants of you. And Lord, have an eternal impact on the lives around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.